Yo, where you at, G? I'm on G. Bolowa. Uwe to G. Yo, G. Ugoopi. Hey, G. Uwe here. I'm in the studio. Studio. Welcome to Amp Stories Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Amp Stories Podcast. It's your girl, G, a.k.a. DJ First Lady. And today we have a special guest. Special guest, are you ready? Yay! Yes, I am ready. All right, the floor is yours. My name is Mariam. I am really grateful to be here today. I am a first-generation uh, Somali-American. I actually grew up most of my life as a refugee, and I moved to the United States with my family when I was 19. And when we moved to the United States, we resettled in California, San Diego. Sunny San Diego has been my home for the past eight years. I left to live in Boston for two years to pursue like research, and I wanted to go to grad school. But then I came back because I couldn't tolerate the cold. I'm currently a working professional engineer. I work as a process engineer as in one of the biotech companies. Yeah, that's about yeah, it. Yeah, I think you got it. But what's a fun fact? Tell us a fun fact about what you do. Uh, or fun fact. I'm actually a professional skydiver and a paraglider, and mm-hmm. I am starting to learn how to swim now. I didn't ever know how to swim, and I just started at the YMCA, so uh, it's been an interesting <laughs> pursuit that at this moment. That sounds fun. Yeah. I keep telling myself I want to swim, but I don't know. I just don't. I don't end up doing it. And you like, should. Oh, I'm gonna get in. Then I don't. I almost drowned um, not too long ago because, like, San Diego is in the coast, so you live next to the ocean. And then, like, I went snorkeling with some friends, and I almost drowned. But they were around. That was mm-hmm. the first time that I really said I have to learn how to swim because this does not make sense. Yes. Um, so I immediately, like, you know what? Take my money. I just want to make sure I have the skill right? to not drown if I end up somewhere. Um, no, I definitely understand that. Dang, at least yeah. you're, you're still here with us. So we thank God for that. You're still here I, with I'm us. I'm glad too. I chilled a lot <laughs> of that water. <laughs> Ooh, mm, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> but thank you so much for the intro. So let's jump into the conversation. So tell us a bit more about your life. You had an interesting upbringing. So tell us more. Uh, I'll give a little bit of background first about my family. I am the fourth child out of five. I'm the youngest in the girls. I have one brother that's younger than me. My family actually like was from Somalia, Somaliland in particular, and they had escaped the war, um, the tribal war that was going on back in the 80s. Um, And then they settled in uh, Saudi Arabia for a while until I was born. But because of visa issues that was going on at that time, uh, and the fact that Saudi Arabia doesn't give like foreign their citizenship even if you were born there we had to leave and my mother had the choice of either going back to Somalia which was still at war at that time or going to Syria where there was like a good population of Somalis there so we decided to go in Syria and that's where I spent most of my life until I moved here in my later adolescence uh, which was like 1819 it was a different upbringing I think I was usually one of the uh, thank God there was a lot of good population of Somalis so there was good and bad in that aspect I think the bad thing was the uncertainty that comes from you being a foreigner in that country and not having rights and being refugee there so it was all of there was like I think mostly survival living because you don't know the outcome of your life and where you're going to end up and also the fact that a lot of people tend to migrate like through the sea because Turkey and Greece and then Greece is usually allows you to go through other countries because Turkey is the um, it's in the middle uh, it has like a section that allows you to cross into the Europe European countries so a lot of people used to cross sea but people die in that so we had a lot of 
anxieties when it came to our futures because we didn't really know what the next step were for us. And that's when the war in Damascus happened back in the 2010, I think, 2011. We were in the midst of it when it was happening. We saw a lot of bombings and all this kind of stuff. And I think at that moment, there was a lot of, I still remember one time, I think when the war started like migrating back to this bigger city, which was where we were living at that time, Damascus. And we didn't know, we were still waiting from the United Nations uh, if we were going to get relocated uh, to another country because we were registered as refugees but they were at that time they were trying to like evacuate a lot of people so we weren't really sure like what is our position in the line I remember like this moment of desperation that I had prayed to God I'm like I just need to survive this one time and I'll make sure to not waste this time like I would not waste my life and and I, and I like cried that day like so much like you know that cleansing crying that you're like you know what whatever happens happens like if I die my life was meant to be a struggle and that's the end of it and it's okay you just become okay with whatever the outcome is and at that time like I don't know there was a bit of calmness that came from the acknowledgement of whatever happens happens and I'm really thankful that I think a week after we got the call from the United Nations that we were going to get relocated to San Diego and we um uh, like we immediately like packed up our stuff within a week. My mom was so afraid of like anything happening. So she immediately like, she's like, we're going to leave early. We don't care. We're going to stay at the airport. <laughs> so we packed up our stuff, like cleaned everything, said bye to all of our relatives and then like went to the airport. And then thank God we came here in June of 2012. And that's when like the transition happened to trying to figure out who I was as a person and like the other struggles <laughs> of figuring right. out who I was started. So I do have a question here. Mm -hmm. How does one register to be a refugee with the United Nations? What's the process like? The process usually is if your country is at war currently, as is in the list of the United Nations countries that considered its citizens to be refugees. So if your country is in civil war and there was a lot of people that died in it, for example, Somalia is still under civil war. So we are still considered, we were still considered refugee, even like people that live there now or live in other countries. It's not Somalia are still considered refugees. People from Syria now are considered to be refugees because the country is in war. So you you usually go into one of the UNHCR's like offices and then you present your citizenship card and you like present your family and your circumstances and then you uh, they have to interview you with your family members. It's a whole process of you registering there and then they have to actually like make sure that what you're telling them is correct, even Mm -hmm. though you're presenting them with documentation that you're from that country. Sometimes people don't have documentation, so they have to take your word as it is because if you're in a war like the first thing that you're trying to collect is not your passport or anything it's just just trying to leave um mm-hmm. so like if your country is in war you can go to any NICR like office and say like I'm presenting as refugees and then they they usually would give you like housing and you live in a housing that's associated to it like to the offices or they give you stipend to like survive for the time being and then you go back for interviews and then you get a card that indicates that you're a refugee and only subset of these refugees that like would be considered for resettlement so not everybody is considered for resettlement mm-hmm. so you have to like they have requirements every country there's a, there different uh, first world countries that are part of the alliances so like a lot of the european countries sweden norway all these countries and then canada and the u.s are part of the unhcr that takes in refugees so normally i think they have requirements which i'm not 100 percent sure what they are but normally if you're a woman or kids you are in the higher and the priorities to get resettled because they know 
we don't have support in these countries because normally when we were in Syria we weren't really allowed to work legally we had to when I graduated high school I wasn't allowed to go to school for free like the other Syrians I had to pay money and my family was poor like I couldn't really afford two thousand dollars of tuition a year so I had to go to work mm. illegally because they usually uh, so it's like under the table under the table yeah okay. and that's why a lot of exploitation happens as well where you don't get paid as much as the person that is from that country because they can not pay you right. and you need the job it is a process and it's a lot of luck that plays into it too because it depends on who is reviewing your application and what time is uh, you submitted your application to become a refugee and if, if the resettlement country chooses you to become like mm. to interview you for resettlement because you also like after you become a refugee we've been refugees for i think 10 years before we wow. were even considered to become part of the resettlement program and how it came to be actually it's because my grandma lived with us uh, for most of our lives so she was the one that got resettled like a country had chosen her first okay. um, and because my grandma said that she couldn't really move without my mother uh she they told her that she told them like yeah i can't leave because i don't have a guardian and my kid is my guardian so i can't really move to another country without my kid so because because my grandma was the first to get resettled they had combined our uh, files together and then we were so lucky because at that time they were like okay cool we just have to get people out of the country because it's not safe anymore and that's how we got in like in the fast track which was like two years too it wasn't like super fast so usually it would take longer than that yeah yeah yes definitely it would we were one of the lucky ones because there is our friends who were also in the program could not wait any longer because the war was like in the midst of it it was super rough at that time and they were moving people but it wasn't moving them fast enough they didn't know when their interview was or if the country had looked at them for a resettlement so they're like yeah we're just gonna go across e so they went to turkey stayed there for a while and then went to germany and then they got the citizenship there wow it was i'm a- sure that was scary yeah, it is. It's similar. Have you watched The Swimmers? Um, no, I haven't. I need to. Yeah. I'm going to write that down right now. It was just like Syrian sisters who were uh, swimmers uh, and they were trying to go to the Olympics to represent Syria. But because like the war had happened and their family like also in the midst of the war. So they, her older sister was trying to told her like, oh, there's an opportunity for us to go to another like say like a first war country to be able mm-hmm. to pursue our dreams and then make sure that my sister becomes a swimmer. So they had to go to Turkey and then illegally cross Turkey to, I think it was either, I'm really bad with geography, but whatever, <laughs> first world country is next to Turkey. I think it was Germany, yeah. So they had to cross the sea to Germany, but like their boat had almost sank in the ocean. And that's how a lot wow. of people die, actually. So they had to get out of the boat and then swim across Wait, don't the tell ocean. us the whole story. We uh, don't sorry. have to watch it. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, you have to, you have to. But actually... That is, a, that is a realistic story of how people like actually experience that and the kind of thought process that happened and the desperation and the lack of hope mm-hmm. that makes people go because living in a country that is torn with war and, and you become like just a currency in that country actually you become just an ant because your life is worthless to some extent you mm-hmm. can literally die any moment the only person that can really see any hope for your future is yourself and that you can only do that if you take action to get out of the situation that you're in and that's mm-hmm. why people would choose to die in the ocean in pursuit of hope rather than to die doing nothing in a country mm-hmm. that like that doesn't really consider you that takes your life for granted 
it's sad because like that trauma that comes from that experience will definitely haunt you down the line and that's something that you have to deal with later on because you become aware of the innate nature of human indifference to you as a person and and that kind of realization makes you see the world differently where human interactions become different when you see the kind of the ugliness that comes from that kind mm-hmm. of experience i was going to ask how do you see the world now people tend to look at the either the cup half empty or the cup half full right but for me i tend to look at the cup as it is like there's water in it for sure there's people that when you interact with them i think i tend to take people in face value the first people will say something different than what they mean but their action will actually be what whatever they mean so i tend to be more skeptical of people interaction in general like where i'm more analytical of like okay cool we're friends for sure what does this mean like what mm. is, what does your word mean what do these interactions mean and you become more aware and hyper aware of all this kind of stuff because you saw the really bad stuff but you also got to see the really good stuff too because there's always yin and yang in these interactions there's people that will show you the amazingness of words that they will like ch- reach a hand when you really desperately need it but there's also people that will stomp on you in the mm-hmm. moment of deed i i became more aware of all that where I listen and I give people chances but I also am able to disconnect faster than I was before my experiences you know I would give people more chances of like oh maybe they didn't mean that like yeah they did and you move forward from that interaction and you're like well I'm going to live my life either and you become care like you you don't care as much about what mm-hmm. other people think of you you become more authentic I, I think because of my experience I'm like I'm going to die any moment like i became more aware of the fragility of life and the importance of every moment that i have because wow. i will i could literally die as i'm driving right now and and every time i'm so grateful because there's times when i was an undergrad where i would be driving home and i'll be like in, in so much gratitude that i will start crying and i'm like i'm really grateful to have had like if i die right now i'm i'm really grateful to have been able to experience all this like cuz i don't know If I had died when I was back at home I would probably not been able to figure out who I was but now I have more content of the person I'm becoming and the person that I am. I know that I still have a lot to work on. I'm grateful for the direction I'm moving forward to and if I die right now I'm okay, I think. And I wouldn't be having a discussion with God about excuse me. We have to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> <Pardon me. laughs> yeah, excuse me. Um I I've gone through so much. I think I need to be compensated. <laughs> Heavily compensated. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, no, I think I became more aware of every moment like if I don't enjoy something, I'm like, yeah, I, because of that I became more okay with letting go. Like if I'm in a party for example and I don't enjoy it, I'm like, okay, cool guys, bye and I leave. I don't have that FOMO because that's the feel like the feeling that I was feeling is not it. Like even with jobs I'm like yeah this is not it. <laughs> I'm going to go explore something else. And I had a lot of career changes like and and major changes when I was in college because I'm like yeah this is not what I'm supposed to be spending my life. I got to change. And 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 it's okay. I don't have that kind of oh my god I'm a failure. I'm like yeah everybody's a failure. I'm going to fail at something at some point but whatever it is I think I'm going to do my best and that's all that matters. Wow. I like that viewpoint honestly. You're speaking to me at this point. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a, it's a human much, experience. Much appreciated. <laughs> Do you still have family still back at home or even in Syria or anything like that? I I don't. I mean, what is family? Uh, for me, I think my my definition of that is my immediate family, like my sisters mm-hmm. are all here, my mom and my dad and my uh, brother, uh, my grandma is all here with me, like people. Okay. So like 
for relatives in terms of people I don't I know of but I don't know about you know Mm -hmm. like I know of them but I don't have that much like connection with them Mm -hmm. yeah I do have a lot of relatives back in Somalia um, but I haven't really met them or haven't interacted that much with them but I hope to change that this year oh and what do you mean by that do you are oh. you gonna call them or are you gonna go back? What is it? What is... <laughs> I'm going back. I, I am okay. hoping. Yeah, so I've been saving up money to like do a couple of months trip to Africa. So I was gonna start with Tanzania, hopefully climbing Kilimanjaro and paragliding off of it, and then like going to Somalia, Kenya, Ethiopia, and then Tanzania to end it. That nice. was the hope, but I'm not sure. Like either this year or the beginning of next year. Whatever it is, I hope you're able to do it. Yeah, I it's hope so must. too. I hope Fingers so crossed. Too. Awesome. <laughs> Okay. Wow. 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 I think that was a really good segue to jump into the mix and then we can get into more about your life and what's going on next. So let's do that. that. Amspot is a centralized platform for DJs. We simplify the process of booking and managing DJing events by providing a one-stop solution for secure payments, communication, and resources. This takes the stress out of event planning and lets organizers focus on creating amazing experiences through music. Join AmpSpot, where enjoyment begins. DJ First Lady in the mix.
There's much more we need to learn. You said when you came to the States, you had to put some of that trauma that you had on the side because you had other stuff now to discover about yourself. So tell us those steps to self-discovery that you experienced here in the States. When I grew up in Syria, there wasn't that much individualism that was going on. You had to always conform to society's expectations because if you are too different, you would not survive. Uh, I had to be. What do you mean by that? Like you have to be like a poised African girl. Like you can't be going out. You can't be different. You have to be into studying and, and thinking about your future. You can't be talking to boys or anybody from the opposite gender, even if it's friendships. And it's more of being like the typical Muslim uh, African person or lady to be able to be for people to not gossip about you and to just not stand out too much you know because people love to gossip everywhere you go especially in African household I think that they have a lot of time a lot of time on their hands <laughs> yeah yeah and I think they don't have a lot of time to introspect on themselves so they tend to like really enjoy talking about other people and for that reason I had to I'm more of an outgoing person I, I used to be super extroverted when I was younger and more of a goofy person but I had to be more conservative or uh, more to myself or else people will say that I was like oh my gosh she's so loose or she's everywhere so I had to be more poised in a lot of my discussions I know what I'm like how to talk and what to talk I can be joking around 
and that had put a lot of training in me for years to be a certain way and keep thinking of what I'm saying rather than just be authentic so when I had when I came here and I started interacting with all of America you know in America everybody's there was like a huge push for individualism and you have to be your own authentic self I hadn't come in head with the fact that I really didn't know who I was I didn't have a lot of time to explore who I was I didn't know what I liked that comes with so much pain that you I don't know for me it was really hard to deal with it was at a time where I felt so sad I think sad and depressed and I every time that I was interacting with people I kept thinking like oh my god do they like me or I said something I I talked too much or I did that like I always was there's this kind of part of me that was always self-critical and so demeaning all the time to myself but I fell into like a huge depression and I started having like panic attacks a lot of the times and I at that moment I discovered that I had to go to therapy because I couldn't really rely heavily on my journaling and, and it wasn't doing enough but I started doing photography so I have videos of myself just like crying in front of the camera because I was like I don't know what's going on inside my head mm-hmm. but I think I have to go ask for help I registered for like a therapist and I started going to therapy and the first thing that happened for me is that every therapy session for I think a month and a half all I was doing is crying in therapy heavily like mm-hmm. I couldn't even get any word out because the first thing that was overwhelming me was a sense of sadness and the sense of inadequacy and self-worth like unworthiness that I had about myself that I would cry for each session and then slowly I started talking about my upbringing and then how I viewed myself and who I was and at that time I was still going to college and I had I was so lucky because I was still having a lot of interactions with people that like whatever I was learning in therapy I was able to implement of trying to separate how I was viewing myself with my interactions with people and how I was presenting myself and like trying to talk to myself with much more softness I discovered this not too long ago actually I I like reading that. This. yeah I, I read this book called um, the body keeps the score and I think it's highly recommended book to anybody that is struggling with like depression or or had like really traumatized childhood because whatever your childhood was will determine who you are like whatever your childhood and how your parents interacted with you and whether they gave you attention or they had like really pushed you to be who you are will determine how you present yourself as an adult and we I started reading about this a lot where we have different persons with inside of us like it's not only the person that I'm presenting in you now there's the, the managers that are inside of you that are like trying to protect whatever pain you have that are trying to like really safeguard it because they know as soon as that when that pain comes out you'll be you'll be either destructive or you'll be going in this path of self-healing but because these managers inside of you don't know what the reaction that you'll have is they will try to make you mold into whatever is acceptable by society so you would not be deviating to figure out what is the issue and then there's the the self-critical person that's inside of you that when you do something and then you feel shit about it and you're like oh why did I do that like oh my god I'm so dumb or all this kind of stuff but there's also that other side of you that are like no it's okay uh I wanted to do that I'm okay so there's all these discussion that happens inside you inside your head and these are different parts of you that are trying to interact and it's okay for all of them to be present, but how you talk to yourself and how the kind section of you interact with all these traumas is really important because the more softer you become with yourself, the more okay you become with your failures, with your shortcomings, and then whatever traumas that had been instilled in you when you were younger just are easier to resolve. And that took me like close to like five years of therapy to be where I am today. And because of that, I'm discovering how to be self-critical but also self 
like kind to my like how I've talked to myself my friends tend to know that I'm really supportive and I'm really kind to them and I had a moment to realization I'm like I don't present that kind of person to myself and that's deep yeah and it's kind of sad because the person that needs it the most is me yeah 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 I I'm gonna start tearing up right now (laughs) but yeah like the person that needs that kind of pampering that that needs that hug that needs that encouragement is me because I didn't have that I think growing up in an African household we don't have that kind of softness present in our household it's in my adulthood life that I started hearing my mom tell me that she loves me and she's proud of me because she's just also out of the survivor mode now she had her own life that she was struggling through and she couldn't really provide that kind of mental support for us and now that she had more time to reflect and be more present she's more able to present that love but sadly like now that I'm older like all that kind of like it takes more for me to believe that mm-hmm. and I'm really grateful that I'm, I'm still working on and I'm in that kind of path of being there for myself for being it's kind of cliche what they say but like being in love with myself being okay with whatever comes my way like bad or good because I know I got myself back I have the ability to withstand whatever other people do to me because I don't believe any of that for myself mm-hmm. um, th- that's a huge accomplishment and, and I'm just so grateful for that wow your journey hasn't been as easy you know and so definitely give yourself a hug because you're doing your thing Five years of therapy is not for the week. And well, you understood that taking yourself seriously is important and helping yourself get better was very, very important. So you took the steps to do that. So we're proud of you over here too. Okay. (laughs) We want to show you that kindness and that love that, you know, that you've been needing and wanting. So we got you on this side as well. Don't worry about that. Hearts. Hearts for you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So. Other than your journey through therapy, what else has given you that peace and calmness within yourself and excitement as well? Well, I think two years ago, I started doing skydiving um, and paragliding. I And I think a lot of pause, people have... Pause, it. actually. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, okay, who wakes up one day and says, hmm, I think I want to be a skydiver. Like, it's one of those things because I've skydived, I've, I've done it, right? But it's just one of those things where it's just like, it's a one-time thing. Check off the bucket list. But you said, uh, oh, I want to be a professional. <laughs> so where did that come from? I remember. So when I was back home, they have these like um, internet cafes. I'm not sure if it's the same in Ghana, but mm. you go to this yeah, internet they, cafe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you go into this internet cafe and then you go into and search like YouTube or Google and then you watch your videos for an hour and then you pay for it. My first ever um, video that I watched on YouTube was of a wingsuit proximity flying. So a wingsuiter is a person that wears like a, this squirrel suit. And they jump of a mountain that's like usually 2,000 feet high or like sometimes lower than that, sometimes 600, um, but depending on how comfortable you are. And then they go like so close to the ground that they would, you literally see the water splitting because of how fast they're going. And then they deploy their parachute and then they land safely. And that was when I was, I think, 14. I watched it. I'm like, oh my God, I really want to do that. I, whatever comes my life, I will do that. So I think I was poor for most of my undergrad. I was always doing, I was always working, but I never had extra money to do other stuff. So after I like became full-time engineer, the first year I promised myself, I'm like, I, there's a whole list of stuff that I wanted to go through of trying out before I die. And I still have that like bucket list or whatever. But I was like, I really want to get my skydiving license and see how it goes. 
And I kid you not, my first day, um, they usually have two instructors that jump with you the first day. You wear your suit and then the suits has gripper on the sides and then you like you would stand on the door you give instructions and then you jump out yeah. but they give you like a one day of instructions first so i was like okay cool let's do it so i paid the money which was like not a like it was a lot it's 250 for one jump i'm like you know what i'm gonna put most of my salary for the first year doing stuff that i really love mm. whatever it is so i got into the plane and i kid you not i was so afraid my legs were just shaking on the plane and i was the last to jump so i'm like as i'm going i'm like why am i doing this why am i right. this is just so stupid I I did not plan this well like I am just about to die and my brain is like going all through all these kind of stuff my legs are shaking my hands are so dry and my mouth is so dry and um, and then my instructor looks at me he's like Miriam you pay $250 for this I'm like I have to go <laughs> I'm jumping <laughs> but my African man is like I cannot waste money I gotta jump and then it was as plane became empty and I was the last one to jump I walked the, I, out of nowhere I had an out of body experience where my body was walking through the door but I'm still like somehow outside of it so I stood at the door and then I was like I looked at them like I looked at the other I'm like okay out and then I was out of the plane and the first thing is I have to keep focusing on my like altitude to make sure that I'm correctly and I'm focusing 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 and then my I deployed my parachute and I was under the parachute by myself I started crying I'm like I did this you did did it it wasn't the concept of the adrenaline that really got me it was more of the fact that it was the first time in my life where I saw my fear manifest in real life mm-hmm. you know I, I was uh, there's a lot of stuff that I'm afraid of for you to figure out how much terrified you are of that things it takes you years you know of whether it's like falling in love or being in a relationship or finding a husband or like whatever like or graduating from college or being adequate enough all these fears like tend to like be slowly manifesting themselves to your conscious but being a skydiver or my first time skydiving it was the first time that I saw my fear like firsthand like where I was so terrified my body was just so paralyzed Mm -hmm. but I did it anyways I stepped out of that comfort zone I did it I jumped it and it was the most surreal amazing experience that I had and as soon as I landed I'm like I think I can do anything like I oh that's love that's cool yeah you get to see that yes like I could have broke something but the thing is it turned out better than I had ever expected and that comes with the idea that everything that you want in life like falls beyond the wall of fear I think all of us are so afraid oh my god maybe this is not good enough maybe I'm not meant to be this or like I have an idea of what I want to do but I'm not good enough with this oh my god I'm gonna fail or all these like small talks that you had with yourself the moment you step into that okay whatever I'm gonna do it just everything clears and whatever the outcome is you become okay with it and you're like okay cool if it fails I did my best but if it succeeded I'm great it's perfect and as soon as I I felt that I was like okay cool I have to do this I have to do this regularly I have to get better at this and then I after I started finishing skydiving I got my first job which, which paid really well and then I was like I have to focus more on engineering um, so I left that on the side, but I also got into paragliding because I really loved the idea of being under canopy and being in the air and being in Zen, uh, listening just to the air, like pat- you passing by the- or going through the air. It is my meditation for me. Mm-hmm. Like it's you get to take all of your anger, your frustration in the world, and then you get off of the cliff. And all you think about is like, this is a beautiful sunset. And you focus on your breathing. You hear the wind. And you're like, 
I'm really grateful. Like, why am I so angry? <laughs> Nothing matters. Nothing matters like, anymore. Yeah, you're like, and then you're like, you're like, you know what? I, I can take care of this. It's not that hard. <laughs> I can deal with these people. Like, it's not that bad. And then you go back and like, I cannot deal with these people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it was your moment of peace and now you're back to reality. Uh. Yeah, yeah. And it's a regular, like, it's similar to how people find meditation. Uh, like, for me, skydiving and paragliding is to force meditation because everything I will in the world doesn't matter it's like whatever is present in front of you in the moment is the thing that you have to focus on and it's an important thing to have in a world that's so like preoccupied with like having a side hustle working on your thing like there's no leisure time for you just to be still honestly it is recharging that's great honest that's great i remember my experience and i was extremely scared i was in the plane and i was the first one to go actually oh. i know right and it's just like, well, this is it. <laughs> I didn't tell my parents or anything. I told them the aftermath. It was something <laughs> that I was just like, I don't want to hear them say, no, don't. Oh, you're scaring me. Like, I don't want you but to But how was after, after they like walked you to the door as the first person, you're dangling your legs. I was dangling you. my legs. <laughs> I was, I kept thinking to myself, is this for real? Are we really oh. about to jump out of a plane? And, you know, the plane is hovering and it's making so much noise. And then there's another person in the plane. And he said he's not getting out of this plane at all. And I'm oh. looking at him. <laughs> wow. I'm telling myself, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to close my eyes. And then, but as soon as I close my eyes, my, what do you call the, the person behind you? Like the actual instructor? Yeah, yes, yeah. My instructor. He said, open your eyes, open your eyes. I was like, oh. Okay, I'm trying. You know? And so I opened my eyes and I was, I was so amazed. I was so yeah. amazed. It was so beautiful. It was in Australia. So that was oh. something different. That's a different experience. And I couldn't believe it. I thought about it and I said, would I do this again? I don't know. But maybe <laughs> I would. Maybe I would probably do it. I never paraglide before. So I'll add that to the bucket is, list. Yeah. I think Costa Rica has a lot of awesome paragliding too. Paragliding. I think about it. I think about it. But yeah. And it's more calm. Like paragliding is more mm -hmm. chill. Like after you get off of the cliff, you just have like the whole air to yourself. And just to remember a thing too. You're one of the few people that get to see the world from that perspective. But how am I going to land? Pretty easy. Who's, I mean, who's going to teach me to? land no no so you're not gonna be alone uh okay the no, person no, is also attached to me the instructor is also yeah, attached to me. yeah 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 you won't they, they can't let you go <laughs> right uh, like alone y'all no, really no, don't no. want to see me okay no, no. But that's awesome. Your experience, your your life story, everything is amazing. You you should write a book. You know, the hardships have helped you become a brand new person, a person that you love and yeah. everyone loves as well, which is really important. I have one more question for you though. Yes. Yeah. So with everything that has happened in your life and everything that is going to happen in your life, how do you find and maintain your peace? Other than skydiving and paragliding, is there any other methods that you use to do that? And how do you stay focused when you're overwhelmed? This is, you're giving advice to the greater mass right now. Well, I think for me to maintain my peace, I had to first become the peace, you know, create that kind of peace for myself where you, um, in hard situations where it's conflict or anything like that, I can like refocus to me, like in terms of finding the peace inside and then focusing on that by going, I, I tend to go on a lot of long walks. I do a lot of hikes as well. Like being in nature really calms me down. If when I'm in conflict, I tend to, really 
go on long road trips. Like I'm really lucky because I live in California, so Joshua Tree is two hours away. With these gas uh, prices? Uh, I have a Toyota Prius. <laughs> oh, look at you. <laughs> I have a Toyota, so I'm really lucky for that too because uh, it doesn't take that much money, thank God. Um, I tend to go on like, I'm really lucky because I live in San Diego, so I we have the beach around, we have like a lot of nature around. I discovered that first I had to find a common ground, especially in if there is something that's being overwhelming or it's taking a lot of my peace with it or taking a lot of my energy. I have to recenter um, and then disconnect for like at least 10 minutes to be able to be in a better headspace and then try to engage again in that kind of discussion. There's always this uh, like overwhelming feeling if people don't understand how to interact with you when you're trying to disconnect you i i found ways to be more direct when i'm talking uh of communicating how i'm feeling really more directly if there's something that's bothering me be more of um coming from a loving perspective of how that hurt me i'll be like uh thank you so much. like i understand that you did this but i'm just gonna say that this really hurt my feelings and i wanted to make sure that you understand that this is where i'm at and for us to like re-engage on this, I just need a couple of minutes to or like a couple of hours for me to disconnect from this. And then we can go when I'm not angry or frustrated. For me, I think the most frustrations and like the lack of peace comes from interacting with people that don't understand that. And I learned to just end relationships much faster than I did before. I think there's this quote where you should not be afraid of letting go of people that don't serve you anymore. Some people are there for a season and some people are there for a lifetime. And people tend to prove to you how much they respect or value you by how they interact with you and how they respect your boundaries. And I think the more authentic I became and expressing how I'm feeling and, and being vulnerable when uh, I, I'm feeling hurt, the more people became okay with, or my friends and family became okay with also expressing how I hurt them so I can improve on that as well. So it's a dynamic because it's not like Americans where you can just disconnect and go live somewhere by yourself. We're not built like that. I think we're Africans, so we're built to be more communicative and being in communities. And, and that's how we thrive. Um, and finding your the community that understands who you are and how you communicate is what more important. But there's also the grief that comes from you letting go from stuff that doesn't serve you. And I think understanding that cycle of grief and joy is really important where you're okay you're like, yeah, I'm losing this person, but I'm also gaining my peace in that aspect. But for me, it's three things. I think being good in communicating and vulnerability, having my car to be able to drive anywhere that I want. And then third, being in nature, like hiking, going on the long walks, listening to podcasts while I'm walking, which I'm definitely going to be listening to all of your episodes now. So <laughs> it's going to be my entertainment and motivation for the next couple of days. That is awesome. That is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I'm sure so many people are going to be so impressed by the way you've handled everything in your life. And we are grateful for you. And thank you for grateful being vulnerable for with us as well. Thank you for joining us today. Do you have any shout outs you want to give to your peoples? Uh, I want to give shout outs to you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I think we had an amazing interactions when we were in Chinola's wedding. And I'm really mm -hmm. grateful that it's to gain a friend again. I'm really grateful for all the friends that I have accumulated over the years and the people that I can proudly call family now, because probably I wouldn't be here without them and without their feedback. Oh, that's beautiful. That is yeah. beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Maria.